This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening for this week's special discount offer code just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. A secret revealed. Wakey, wakey, Mr. Stamets. And Bill and I were finally right about a long-range scan. The adventures in the Mirror Universe continue as Michael deals with an incredible realization and betrayal, and we also get to see yet another Vulcan with the famous Mirror Universe goatee. Buckle up, folks, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. I'm your host, Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome back, everyone, to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. The Mirror Universe continues in what can only be called an arc at this point, and this podcast host is loving what is happening. Episode 11 is now official Trek canon, and as usual, we just have tons of stuff to talk about. Again, my name is Dan Davidson, and thank you so much for being here with us on Discovering Trek. As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, entitled The Wolf Inside. New developments are taking place in the good old MU, as I like to call it, so let's get right into it. And you know, this is the moment that I love most in the show when I get to introduce my illustrious co-host. You know, many counterparts in the Mirror Universe sport goatees. So since this guy already has one in our universe, does that mean he's going to be clean shaven over in the mirror universe? I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Either way, I'm glad he's here. He's my very special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one, Bill Smith, episode 11. Here we go. Thanks, Dan. I assure you that all iterations of Bill Smith in any universe are nothing but uh, jolly and friendly. Uh, It's great to be back. I'm excited to talk about this episode. It was such a great watch, and um, we're going to have a great time tonight. We are going to have a great time, and one of the reasons we're going to have a great time is we are welcoming one of our very best friends to the show for discovering Trek for the first time. I am very excited, and I think you have all the deets on who that person actually is. Did you just use the word deets? I did. It was. I, it's worth it. I think you're prohibited from using that word by by many Starfleet protocols. Dan, she's the co-host of Trek FM's Earl Grey. They're a podcast dedicated to Star Trek The Next Generation, as well as The Edge, which focuses on Star Trek Discovery. It is with great joy and gratitude that we welcome our dear friend Amy Nelson to Discovering Trek to talk about The Wolf Inside. Amy, welcome to the show. We're so excited you're here. Thank you so very much. I've been... So looking forward to talking with you guys. First time coming on Discovering Trek. So very excited. We are thrilled to death to have you here, Amy. It's been too long since we've talked. We've had you over on Trek Geeks and had a great time. And and with Discovering Trek, just, just knocking it out of the park every week, we figured it was time to get you over here. Um, before we get started, though, uh, Bill, why don't you tell all of our special friends in this universe how and where they can get in touch with us? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Hailing frequencies are open, Dan, and we're transmitting in all known languages and dialects, even Ferengi. 
Who knew? You can find us on Twitter at Discovering Trek. And on Facebook, we can be found at facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. There you can hit us up with some messages, join in on the discussion, comments, questions, suggestions, maybe even leave us your data cards with the Defiance information. Just saying. Plus, don't forget that you can also send us a voicemail directly. And now it's easier than ever. Just go to trekgeeks.com and click on the giant blue button on the right-hand side. Please do remember, though, that any comments you may leave us could possibly be used in an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Dan? Thank you, sir. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched episode 11 of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. Head on over to CBS All Access and watch the latest episode. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for the wolf inside. Previously on Star Trek Discovery, what? The Mirror Universe? We begin with a flyover at the Discovery and drop in on the corridor with a transparent aluminum ceiling. It's dark and the power seems to be out. There are a lot of sparks falling from the junction as a crewman is working on electrical repairs. She hears a voice in the darkness and proceeds to investigate. It's Paul Stamets, and he's rambling about a dark forest and trees, and he's cradling the seemingly lifeless body of Hugh Culber. Aboard the Shenzhou, Captain Burnham reflects on what she knows of the mirror universe, and she's concerned that this nightmare of a reality might have an impact on her humanity. Mirror Saru comes to tend to her, not as a junior officer, but as a slave with no name. He bathes her and he dresses her. In two days, this universe is already inside Burnham's head and it's taking its toll. In the transporter room, Burnham oversees the sentencing of three traitors to the Empire. First Officer Detmer carries that sentence out and the traitors are beamed directly into the vacuum of space. A memo to staff, don't piss off Detmer. Just saying. Burnham has been reflecting to Tyler all this time and tells him that it's becoming easier for her to pass as a member of the Mirror Universe, and that frightens her. She tells Tyler that he reminds her of everything good, and Tyler tells Burnham that she is his tether, both here and in their own universe. They're interrupted by Mirror Saru, and Burnham orders Tyler to go and check on Lorca. Burnham accidentally calls the Mirror Saru by name, and tells him that she will call him Saru from now on out of respect for a friend. Burnham gets a secure transmission from Captain Tilly of the Discovery, who hands the conversation off to Commander Saru. Burnham reports that she's accessed the data on the Defiant, but it's far too large to transfer to the Discovery through the Terran firewall. To complicate matters, the data is encrypted too. Saru tells her that Stamet's condition has not improved. Saru also asks Burnham if she has encountered any Kelpians because he's curious to know about his people in this universe. She lies to him, and she tells him she hasn't. After the call, Tilly thinks they should have told Burnham about Culber's death. Saru disagrees and says that it would distract Burnham from the mission. Saru believes that Stamets killed Culber and has him restrained in sickbay. Tilly wants to take over Stamets' treatment. She believes that his state is related to the spores, and so she is likely the most qualified to treat him. She also says that whomever killed Culber 
Well, it wasn't Stamets because that person lying on the biobed in front of her isn't the Paul Stamets that she knows. Back aboard the Shenzhou, Burnham receives a transmission from a fellow starship captain with orders from the Emperor. They have the location of the Firewolf, the Klingon leader of the Resistance, and she has to find him and wipe out the Resistance base. Detmer orders the preparation of photon torpedoes, and Burnham cuts her off. Instead, she will lead a landing party herself to obtain the information on the Resistance that will bring it to its knees. (laughs) Still, Burnham is conflicted by her orders to wipe out the Rebels. Lorca thinks she should follow the order, but Burnham is determined to find another way. She sees this resistance as the closest thing this universe has to a federation like theirs. Knowing that it's led by a Klingon of all races gives her some hope that maybe, maybe they can negotiate with the Klingons when they return home. In Discovery's engine room, Tilly thinks aloud about the time Stamets called her captain. At the time, she just sort of thought it sounded cool, but now she theorizes that Stamets has an internal portal between the universes in his brain. With Stamets in the reaction cube, she introduces spores to hopefully bring Stamets back. Burnham and Tyler beam down to the surface of the planet Harlack, where the rebel base is. <laughs> the rebel base. And almost immediately begin taking fire. Burnham puts her hands up in surrender and requests an audience with the Firewolf. The rebels conduct them to the base, which is obfuscated by an active camouflage, like a huge cloaking device. Once inside, they're introduced to the Firewolf, who turns out to be Mirror Volk. Volk recognizes Burnham as the Butcher of the Binary Stars. She says that's not who she is now and tells them that the Emperor knows their location. She offers to help, but she wants something in exchange from Volk. She will bomb the base, but she'll allow the rebels to escape first. Volk doesn't trust her, and he calls for the Prophet, who just happens to be Mirror Sarek. Sarek mind melds with Burnham and sees the images from her life in our universe. He tells the others that Burnham means them no harm. Voke trusts Sarek and agrees to evacuate the camp. Burnham asks Voke how he assembled such a diverse group, and he says the light of Kalis leads him. Well, this triggers Tyler, who begins to have flashbacks to Takuvma's insistence about remaining Klingon. Tyler shouts in Klingon and begins to attack Mirror Voke. Burnham protests, trying to get Tyler to stop. Voke defeats Tyler and prepares to execute both he and Burnham, but Sarek intervenes. He says that Burnham is an outsider, like them, who wants the same thing. He says that they only will survive by sparing Burnham's life. To show Burnham was successful, they hand over the intelligence that will be useless to them by the time they decipher it. Burnham and Tyler beam back to the Shenzhou. Tilly continues to try and treat Stamets with Saru. The spores appear to be having a positive effect on Stamets until he starts to crash. Medical officers are called in. They try to resuscitate him, but Stamets appears to be gone. In her quarters aboard the Shenzhou, Burnham demands to know what's happening with Tyler and what he's hiding from her. He says he feels something for Laurel. He's forced to listen to her. Her words tell him who he is. Burnham says, well, yeah, she brainwashed him, but Tyler says it's more than that. He tells Burnham that he doesn't think he's Ash Tyler. He remembers being Voke after seeing Voke in the mirror universe. He says he couldn't fight it anymore and he remembers it all. He was to infiltrate their ship. He also reveals that he killed Dr. Culber when he happened to discover the truth. 
Tyler then attacks Burnham. She's saved by Saru, who throws Tyler across the room. Guards take Tyler away. He's to be executed for attacking the captain. Tilly is apologizing to a lifeless Paul Stamets when he begins to show signs of life. In his mind, we see him walking through the spore forest and he encounters the mirror version of himself. In the Shenzhou transporter room, Burnham asks Tyler if he has anything to say for himself before being beamed into space. He speaks in Klingon, asking for Kalos's light. She punches him in the stomach, and then Burnham decides to take the controls herself and beam him directly into space. She then asks for Lorca to be brought to a ready room for a private interrogation. We see Tyler materialize in space for a second, and then he's beamed from space by the Discovery. Tyler is now a prisoner, and Saru takes the data card with the Defiance information on it from Tyler's person. It seems that when Burnham punched Tyler, she also managed to stash the data card on him and get it beamed out to Saru. Burnham discusses their next move with Lorca. Lorca says they'll have to wait for Saru to decrypt the data and find a way home. He also says that they'll survive this place together. They're interrupted when Burnham is summoned to the bridge. Another vessel arrives in orbit of Harlack and begins to open fire on the rebel base. Photon torpedoes begin to detonate on the surface and appear to be cooking off the planet's atmosphere. Burnham knows that the rebels haven't had time to escape. The ship makes contact with the Shenzhou, and in front of Michael Burnham appears the hollow image of the Emperor of the Terran Empire, Philippa Giorgio. And Bill, as always, man, you know, people love your recaps. They are just, they are the things of legend at this point. And uh, another job well done, my good man. I I could just sit there and listen to it over and over. Uh, you probably will, and I can't blame you. They're mellifluous. The, the very nice. Very good vocabulary for the day. You get a gold star. So... Here we are at the Starfleet Briefing. What we like to do here, as we do every week, is just talk about whether we want to give this episode a thumbs up or a thumbs down and general, very high-level reactions. So, Amy, as our guest of honor today, uh, I would like to find out from you what you thought of this episode two in my favorite Mirror Universe. What do you think? Uh, Two thumbs up. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed getting to know the characters better. Like through uh, Michael Burnham and Ash Tyler's, their love for each other. We really got to see uh, Tilly's determination and compassion for Stamets. That really uh, touched my heart. And then also Michael's respect for Saru and then his loyalty to her. So there is a lot that I got from this episode. Yeah, there were there were a lot of good things going on in this. A lot of things that people have said, oh, we knew this was going to happen, but still the way it was brought forth in this episode really hit home. And that's why I also give it a thumbs up. Uh, why wouldn't it be great developments? Like you said, it's the mirror universe, so it's always going to get a thumbs up from me. Um, the realizations and the shocking or maybe not shocking first look at the Emperor, uh, again, one of those things that a lot of people speculated on, but the way that it was brought forth really, really was done well. So it was a definite thumbs up for me as well. Bill, are we going to go three for three tonight? We are hitting for the cycle, Dan. Two thumbs way up uh, from me for sure. Uh, definite change over last week when I was just barely the tiniest of thumbs up and and could have been swayed. I think that, that this particular episode was one where fandom had largely figured out several key plot points because we've been thinking about it all season, but the details were revealed in such a compelling and interesting way 
that it made the story enjoyable and exciting. So yeah, two, two big thumbs up for me. That's awesome. Because if I remember correctly, last week you gave it a thumbs ups, which was a very interesting terminology. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> I did. I did. Thank you for you reminding me of, about how great my English is. I appreciate that. that it's, it is always my pleasure, man. <laughs> so, so let's get right into the discussion points. We like to talk about some some big topics that happened uh, in the latest episode. And of course, the one that I think is on everybody's top of the list is the whole Tyler slash Voke, or is that Toke? Or maybe Viler. I really don't know. It's very, very confusing. Um, it is, of course, we talked about it last week. It's the least kept secret of Discovery. But we finally got confirmation on who Tyler actually is. And I got to say, Amy, the way that it was revealed was a lot better than I thought. Because we've seen a couple of things over the last few episodes. But the way that it finally came out, it came out at full speed. And it was like a punch in the stomach to Michael. I, yeah, absolutely. That scene between those two and her quarters was magnificent. And the struggle that both of them were having, and then finally the realization was incredible. It's, it's stunning. I couldn't believe it. It was amazing to me. And I, I don't want to call this a, a negative point about the episode, but I found it interesting that with everything going on on the planet's surface, when Tyler started reacting to things that were going on around him, when he saw basically himself um, and he started twitching and kind of kibbing a little bit, as I like to call it, nobody in that room really seemed to notice. But that betrayal that just came out all of a sudden was really, really something. And then, of course, Bill, the bomb dropped in Burnham's quarters, as Amy just referenced, uh, had to have been uh, something that you thought was quite remarkable as well. You know, I, absolutely. You know, I'm going through that scene and I watched it several times today. And I have to say that it's just, it's chilling in many ways. You know, because Shazad Latif, I have to give him all the credit in the world. He goes from being Tyler to being you know, affected Tyler to being Voke on, on a mission of of intelligence gathering and, and, and now vengeance as he tries to kill Burnham. And the transition between the various states is just, it's damn near flawless. It's a beautiful scene that's incredibly well acted by both Shazad Latif and Sonequa Martin-Green. And like I said, it's like you said, it's the, it's the least kept secret in, in the whole of Discovery so far. But it was revealed in such a compelling and interesting way that that scene is probably one of the best we've seen in the series so far. Yeah, it, it really was great. One of the things I thought was interesting, and and I, it doesn't bother me at all. I just it's this type of stuff that we see on television these days. The amount of gore in those some of those flashbacks was more than what we've seen so far in Discovery. The amount of torture and the organs looked like they were literally moving organs around or or removing them. Uh, it was it was pretty cool stuff. I, I'm not going to lie. Um, Bill, I want to stay with you for just a second because I got something that I'd like to get your take on. And uh, some of the feedback that we've received on the Trek Geeks Facebook page today. Um, do you think that the Mirror Sarek was a canon violation? And keep in mind, we both don't really love that term. But uh, what's your take on that whole thing? Uh, yeah, no, thanks for bringing that up. I um, We got an email earlier today from a, a longtime listener of Trek Geeks who had a problem with the fact that Sarek was there because – Spock is 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 definitely part of the Terran Empire in Mirror Mirror. And and my reaction to it was this. You know, 
in our universe, in the prime universe, Spock and Sarek don't always see eye to eye to the point where Spock goes and, and leaves for Starfleet, much to, to, to Sarek's disappointment. Um, and it causes a rift between them. You know, they don't speak for a number of years. And it occurs to me it would be true to their character if in the mirror universe, Spock disappoints his father and goes off to join the Terran Empire, maybe because of its his half-human side, which which breeds that ambition. But, you know, Sarek would would have a problem with that, I believe. And and that's probably how Sarek comes to be with the resistance. None of that is introduced in canon anywhere. Not that it really matters, but this is this is brand new information. And I think it's a really interesting way to incorporate Sarek into this timeline, goatee and all. <laughs> because mirror Vulcans have to have goatees. Every one of them does. Now, what I was thinking in regards to that uh, topic on the Facebook page is, is we all know that Spock is a member of the Enterprise crew in the Mirror Universe in Mirror Mirror. And it's it's a little bit interesting to see because in Discovery's time, the Terrans hate any kind of species that is not human. So I'm like, so there, there's some people that could be arguing, well, he shouldn't have been in Starfleet anyway, because Terrans hate all kinds of aliens besides, unless, you know, if they're not human, then they're not going to be part of the empire. But I kind of go along the whole, he's half human. So, you know, is it possible that someone said, okay, we'll let you in type of thing. You get a free pass, you know, collect $200 or whatever the monopoly phrase is. But um, I, I have to agree with you. It's, it's never been official about what was going on. I thought it was a very interesting topic, but uh, for me, it was a little bit too much dissection of what's going on, which is what we see far too much of online these days. Um, but, um, you know, another thing could be, you know, he's half human. Amanda's human. What kind of pull does she have in the mirror universe? Um, did Are they yes. still together, Sarah and Amanda? There's a whole bunch of things that we could, we could, you know, speculate on uh i didn't have any problem with seeing sarek as part of the rebel base amy what about you yep not one problem at all i i liked it felt it was good good i like that i see we're all in agreement last last week was tough <laughs> was a lot of tension in the ranks so to speak just kidding terry <laughs> so um back on discovery last night of course we all know what happened last week with dr culber and we know that we were going to see the uh, what happened next and who was going to find him. And of course we saw Stamets uh, with his arms wrapped around uh, Dr. Culber. Hey, and can then- I, can I just throw in a question? Yeah, sure. Um, so why was the corridor all blacked out and like it was having, you know, issues with the lighting and the discovery wasn't damaged in any way. So why was it all dark and that they found him in, you know I what think I mean? What was, I think what was happening is that discovery didn't pay their mirror universe electric bill for that side of the ship. <laughs> they had to go in and hotwire a couple of things and it just made for some amazing drama. Didn't it? No, that's <laughs> okay. I, I, um, but that, I think that it was, it. I think it was actually an electrical malfunction. Um, in the script, uh, I think that's what the uh, the crewman was there repairing with all the sparks and stuff. Um, I- I'm pretty sure that's it. I'd have to go back and watch it again. So it, there's just no explanation for it. It just was good drama. Yeah. Okay. I can buy it. Go. All right. I'll, I'll go with that. I'm not happy about it, but I'll go with it. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. 
That's okay. So as as you just pointed out, when the when the lights come on, there's there's Stamets and 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 holding Dr. Culber. And then later on, I gotta say, this was a shocker to me. I did not expect to see Stamets die as we saw him die at least for part of the episode. And then as we all saw, he came back and then he met his mirror counterpart. Interesting. Amy, what are your thoughts on that? Because I have a story that I want to bring up after I get explanations from you and Bill on what you think from my dear wife who had a question about it. Oh, well, I totally was, uh, you just knew that Stamets couldn't last forever with this spore jumping and everything. So I totally expected him to die. So it was sort of going in with my headcanon. Um, but you're right, seeing the mirror universe Stamets really shook me and was got me excited as to what his story is, how it's going to continue. Um, and then I, I sort of expected him to come back to life because, you know, the mycelium network and stuff like that is is awesome and stuff. We don't really know its full powers. So I just am super excited. And especially when Mir Stamets was like, well, it took you long enough to get here, buddy. So I'm really excited to see where that goes. That came out as maybe this is showing that I wasn't really prepared for it. That came out of left field for me. I did not expect that at all. And then, of course, when he said that line, it's like, oh, man, they, these writers have something planned that's going to be big. Bill, uh, were you surprised when he redlined? <laughs> um, I was. And and I say that because of, of all the – the furor and the backlash that occurred exactly. last week when Dr. Culber died, when mm -hmm. Stamets, you know, flatline, I'm like, Oh boy. Oh no, this is not good. But yeah. I didn't think he would be gone for long right. because I figured, you know, it's, they still have to get home somehow, whether it's, you know, how the defiant got there or whether it's some spore type jump or, or who knows. So I don't think Stamets would just be, you know, um, babbling about, you know, dark forests and trees and then just die. Yeah. There's something else to resolve that that has to happen. I will say I, I did actually laugh out loud and I surprised myself when Mira Stamets shows up and essentially says, dude, sup. <laughs> <laughs> it is cool Mirror Universe costume. <laughs> I know, right? So I, I'm interested to see how, how that informs what happens with our Stamets. Because mm -hmm. I think Tilly's right. I think he's in a, in, in a network inside his head to some degree. Well, that brings up a very good point and it's what my wife Susan was talking to me about last night after watching the episode is she asked me and I wasn't really sure the answer is this really happening is that really Mira Stamets or is it all in his mind now it could be really Mira Stamets in his mind but could it also be just Stamets you know you know when people are unconscious you know things just go through their head um I, I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly but I believe that it is the real mirror Stamets and there's going to be something that happens with regards to both of them. What do you think, Amy? Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's really happening. It really is. I mean, we know that Stamets can exist in multiple universes. And even when he calls Tilly captain way back mm -hmm. in whatever episode, like that was the truth. That was his reality. That was our reality. We're just seeing it now come to pass. So it definitely is the real Stamets. And it's, yeah, I'm super excited. 
It'll be interesting if they're able to have more scenes next to each other. Uh, we haven't seen a lot or any really of of counterparts, you know, sharing the screen at the same time. So right. that was kind of a cool effect as well. Bill, you on the same page? You think it's the same thing? I do. And, and here's why. Because Stamets has no idea he's in the mirror universe. Remember, when they jumped, he was catatonic. He'd crashed. And he's been in a state of flux, for want of a better word, and um, ever since the jump. So he's got real no aw- no real awareness as to what's going on. So I think he's probably confused by Mirror Stamets, and he doesn't quite know what's going on. I think he's about to find out, though. Yeah. Mm. Uh, did they show anything in the previews for them next week? I don't remember seeing him in the preview. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, last thing I want to talk about, guys, is the Rebel Alliance. And no, there is no purposeful Star Wars pun intended when I say that. Um, it was interesting to see this entire alliance of these alien races that we're so familiar with, but yet they had these subtle changes. And I got to say, for me personally, the new look of the Tellarites was bad ass. I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, you saw the 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 more pronounced ridges on the forehead or eyebrows for the Andorian, so there's a little change with them. But to see all these races together was really very cool, and uh, it really helped with the storyline, Bill. Yes, absolutely. I thought it was fascinating that those races would come together against the Terrans. I mean, obviously in Deep Space Nine, you know, we saw a, a bit of a, a smaller version of that with some aliens. Um, but in this, we see what amounts to the beginnings of, of a federation, like Burnham points out. It's not the same in scope or in spirit, but these alien races have to do something or else risk being obliterated by the Terrans. So I, I appreciate that it gives them hope. I appreciate that it gives Burnham hope, more importantly. And to know that the Klingons are more than just the sum of their... Um, their dogma from Takuma. Dogma Takuma. That's a great. Uh, that's a great double word. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. Hashtag Dogma Takuma. <laughs> Amy, um, the Rebel Alliance obviously is something that's going to play a part going forward in the Mirror Universe, as we have seen in other series. Uh, do you think that the way that they introduced us to these people was the right way to do it, or do you think that they could have done it a different way? Oh, I'm totally fine with how they did it. I, I And I'm looking forward to see it. And I, I think there's definitely some things to talk about, which I think we'll do a little bit later. <clears throat> but I did have a question. So you were talking about how awesome the Telluride and, and the Andorians look. However, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> when we found out that the Klingons were changing their look, oh my goodness, what a storm that was. And yes. everyone was up in arms. And now we have, again, aliens changed look and not one peep. I mean, you know, I do postcards from the edge. So I look at mm-hmm. all the fan response, sure. not one peep of anyone complaining that these Tellurites are different and how dare they and what are they doing? What what is up with that? I don't know. I guess it's a dogma from Takuma type moment, and I'm not really sure how they're going to be able to fix it. But I, I got to say, I am glad that we have not had that backlash. Because, oh my gosh, me too. Oh, it's 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 finally it's good to see this change, and people seem to like it. I've seen I've actually seen several comments on Twitter today about how the look of the Tellarites was really cool and different and unexpected, and it took people a few moments to realize it was actually a Tellarite. So that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think that this speaks to, you know, the gatekeeping of some fans. And we may talk a little bit about this topic later. But, you know, Klingons, for some reason, are, are, are sort of sacred to some fans. Even though the look mm-hmm. of the Klingons has never been consistent since never. TOS. Even in TOS. We've got bald, mm-hmm. there's a, a balding Klingon on TOS. Mm-hmm. You know, in, uh, in, uh, oh God, uh, the one with, uh, Leonard James Akar was at Friday's child. Um, that guy's going bald, you know, you get to <laughs> the motion picture and they look like, you know, sort of weird animal, animal things. Um, you get into the subsequent movies, uh, especially Star Trek five, they look like a heavy metal tribute band. Um, <laughs> and even in throughout TNG, their look changes and evolves. Yes. Yep. So. It's it's okay for every other race, including the Vulcans who developed forehead ridges in TNG, to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But oh my word, don't change the Klingons because that's that's that Gene will roll over in his grave if you do that. That that really just drives me crazy. Yeah. Well, each week we reserve this special time to reflect on those we have lost in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's the somber part of our show, but we feel it's the least we can do. For those who have paid the ultimate price, we like to call it the Red Shirt Roll Call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. You know, Discovery is a Star Trek show where we will lose crew and we will lose characters, and this week was no different. Bill, who can we say goodbye to in episode 11? Well, Dan. We put on our parkas this week, and we say goodbye to the three traitorous and unnamed transporter popsicles. They froze to death in the vacuum of space when they were beamed there intentionally by First Officer Detmer of the ISS Shenzhou. It's, yeah, that's that's a horrible way to go out, I gotta tell you that. Oh. For a small amount of time, we also said goodbye to Paul Stamets, but Dan, we're happy to report that his name has been removed from this list this week because he's back, baby. <laughs> and lastly, for all intents and purposes, we say goodbye to Lieutenant Ash Tyler, or at least the persona that was worn by Voke, son of none. We have no idea what happened to the real Ash Tyler, but Ash, we hardly knew ye. Wow. Well, we raise a glass of Synthahol in their honor as we say goodbye in this week's red shirt roll call. And hey, Bundle up out there, because it is very cold in space. This week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. You know, Fansets has an exclusive offer for all of our Discovering Trek listeners. Just enter the discount code FIREWOLF, that's F-I-R-E-W-O-L-F, all capital letters, at checkout for 10% off your entire order with Fansets. Now, this code is going to be available to use until Sunday, January 21st, 2018 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. Awesome. Please take uh, advantage of that code, folks. Firewolf and fan sets. A set for every fan and a fan for every set. See their entire line at fansets.com. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for the entire season of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human.
Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and in this segment, we're going to take a look at what this episode helps us discover about our very own humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. Uh, Amy, uh, let's go ahead and start with you again as our guest of honor. Uh, This episode, I think, wasn't as difficult as past episodes, at least for me, uh, for this sensor analysis segment. What do you What do you think? Yes, there's definitely are some themes. I have a couple. Um, I'm going to assume that you'll cover one of them. So let me just start with this one. The beginning, I really felt uh, that monologue that Michael Burnham had, um, where she's trying to figure out who she is within this mirror universe. And She's talking about how she has to pretend to be something you're not, and you can see the toll that it takes on her. And there's just something that I think we all can take away is, are you being true to yourself? You know, pretending can be so tiresome. And like Burnham, we get no rest and you have to bury your heart. Like that is not a good way to live. And I think you can see that in Burnham's character here, she's being forced to do so when you know that she doesn't want to, she wants to be true to who she is, but she can't because she's in this mirror universe. So I really, and then she has that worry, which I think is very, very important to note that she's going, that it's going to become easier for her to do this the longer she stays. And that really scares her. And I just think for us in our lives, There's definitely times where you have to pretend to be something that you're not, but the more that you pretend the you're not being true to yourself. And I I just think that's a great theme that we can pick up in this week's episode. I have a feeling that maybe all three of us will have uh, uh, similar uh, discussion points uh, because mine is very much like yours, Amy. I I finally actually have a positive message for today's segment. Um, I've always felt kind of somber here during sensor analysis because I always seem to reflect on the negative side about what I see about our humanity when we watch Discovery. But this week, Burnham showed the extreme compassion that we as human beings can have. She wasn't willing to annihilate the rebels and pretty much destroy an entire planet uh, just because as Lorca said, the ends will justify the means. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen tremendous growth in Michael since the beginning of the series. You know, at the beginning, she had this outward appearance of being cold and logical and only making decisions based on that logic. And to what we see in this latest episode, her human feelings and her human compassion have started to influence her decision and how she handles that direct order from the emperor to destroy the the rebel base and pretty much the planet. Um, I actually like the side of Michael, and it makes me smile that we're seeing the positive side of humanity in situations like this. As you may recall from last week, I mentioned that it was a little scary for me to see that we could so easily get used to being vicious and scheming. And while Michael admits that she's finding it far too easy to fit in this mirror universe, I think her compassion outshines that darker side of her humanity. Mm-hmm. Bill? Well, you know, to carry forward on both your comments, if I may, I think that what Discovery tells us this week personally is that humanity always finds a way to persevere and to survive. It tells us that, and it tells us that there's hope. You know, for months now, gatekeeper fans, like we were talking about before, and naysayers have been crapping on every aspect of this series, and some without without ever having watched it before. You, know, you get the old, it's not Gene's vision, or it's it's dark and it has no hope for the future. 
We hear those lines most often from these self-appointed Trexperts, and they seem to think that their opinion is the only valid one in the whole of the Star Trek universe. And in last night's episode, as Michael Burnham is talking to Captain Lorca about her orders to destroy the rebel base, and I still laugh every time I say the word rebel base, because I want to <laughs> say it's on Dantooine. Um, the first thing she does is she talks about her hope, hope that they can use this meeting with the Firewolf to aid their understanding of the Klingons in their universe. And maybe, maybe that can lead to negotiation with them. As Michael Burnham becomes more comfortable with her humanity, she has hope for a better future, for peace, for understanding, and for common ground. And, well, I mean, couldn't we use a boatload of that right now, here, in Star Trek fandom and in our society in general? With social media, we're treated to hundreds, if not thousands of opinions every day that everyone is suddenly an expert on, when what we could really use is a little understanding and common ground for us all to stand on, to look at each other. Times are dark right now, and they're uncertain, but humanity finds a way, and humanity always finds a way. There is so much that binds us, and all we have is hope. We always have it, and some days that seems like it's all we have, but if Michael Burnham teaches us anything this week, is that we just can't let go of it. So as we go from humanity discussion, we're going to go right into Starfleet commendations for this week. And and Amy, you've listened to the show. You know what it's all about. We're going to pick one, two, or maybe three things that you really want to specifically call out in the episode that you loved, whether it's characters or performances or scenes, special effects, bad lighting because they didn't pay their electric bill. That could be accommodation <laughs> if you wanted it to be. But uh, what do you have for some brief call outs for this week's episode? All right. Well, when I saw the base on the Harlock planet the, and the camouflage, it totally reminded me of the movie Beyond when Jayla hid the USS Franklin. Yes. Right? Am I right? Yeah, Very definitely. Nice. Very nice. And I really liked Tilly had the hope, as you talked about before, but is exemplified with Tilly here, that she knows she just has this hope that they're going to get back to the prime universe so much so that she asked Saru for his recommendation for the command training. Mm. Like that's awesome. I really was inspired by her hope. I love it. Very. Tilly is just so great. Just the one quick scene where she just broke down and started crying was just a phenomenal performance that I love that girl. Love her. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Bill, uh, what do you got for commendations, man, besides yours truly being a host of a, of a pretty good podcast? It's okay. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Dan, my commendations this week start with Shazad Latif. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, this guy is one of the most amazing actors that Trek has ever seen. He's created such a complex and layered performance of these three various personas, with Vok, Tyler, and Compromise Tyler. And it's just been incredible to watch on the screen. The best part of this is that his journey as some version of that character is not over yet. And I I really can't wait to see what happens next. Second, I have to say equally as powerful was Sonequa Martin-Green this week. You know, as Burnham tries to hold on to her humanity, she experiences an unimaginable betrayal by what amounts to her first love. Because remember, Mm -hmm. she told Stamets and Magic to make the sanest man go mad that she'd never been in love before. Right. So 
Tyler's her first love, and there's still fallout from this on top of the whole Giorgio development that she's going to have to address. And it makes me wonder what else Michael is going to have to deal with before she just breaks entirely. Um, Because I I see that coming too. And then lastly, my final combination this week has to go to the writer's room. And I said some of this on Twitter um, the other day, but I have to sincerely thank the writers for loving Star Trek and for keeping Star Trek stories alive and well. It's got to be frustrating on some level to have the internet guessing things in advance and and propagating theories. And, you know, I have to say, I truly appreciate the way that that they are choosing to unfold this story in addition to the story itself. Because like I said earlier, it's still really interesting and I think they're executing it incredibly well. I can't wait to see what you and the writer's room have for us in the remaining four episodes and in the future. Please, please keep doing what you're doing and know that we are here with you every step of the way. Dan. Amen, man. I could not have said that better. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, my first commendation kind of goes to the writer's room. And it's just for the fact that the opening scene in last night's discovery was 14 minutes long. Uh, I actually, I, I had to start the episode late. So I, I, tuned into CBS All Access and I started it and I got comfortable and I'm like, okay, did I miss something? And I missed the opening credits because I don't remember seeing them. And then when they started, I actually had to pause it and realize it was 14 minutes into the episode. I thought that was just, I thought it was very cool. Um, I also like Bill have to point out uh, Sonequa Martin-Green's performance last night. It was such a powerful episode uh, for her character from her somewhat depressing voiceover, as we mentioned earlier in the log entries about how it was too easy to fit into this brutal universe to the reaction to Tyler's betrayal on the planet and in her quarters to the reaction that she had when Emperor Georgiou uh, hollow projected onto the bridge. It was just more proof that this was the perfect casting for the role of Michael Burnham. Um, and again, to the writers, I have to give credit to the cliffhanger for the week because it was kind of a cliffhanger. Both Bill and I and lots of people online have speculated that the emperor would be uh, Georgiou. And while it wasn't exactly a surprise to finally get that confirmation, the scene where she first appeared was magnificently done from her hollow entrance on the bridge, like I said, complete with gorgeous flowing robes and that really awesome looking sword to the shock or uh, as much as she could hide the shock on Burnham's face when she saw her former mentor. And I also have to say that the uh, way that Michael was able to complete her mission was great writing. Also, I'm not a scientist and and I'm not exactly sure uh, how fact, how fast a body can react to the vacuum of space. But the way that Michael was able to get the data card onto Tyler by punching him in the stomach and then beaming him into space and then having discovery beam him onto their ship was just, it was just brilliant. I thought now I've seen online people today have been complaining that there was no time for that. And we never, you know, they went right from one uh, area of the ship to another and she couldn't have gotten in communication with Saru and this, that, and the other thing. But the last time I checked, this wasn't the TV show 24 and every second isn't shown on the screen uh, all the time. So I actually enjoyed it. I found myself cheering at the end when Saru pulled the data card out of Tyler's pocket. uh, And I thought it was just another great addition to the Star Trek Discovery uh, story. So uh, congratulations, uh, guys in the writer's room. You guys have, have put out another great, great episode. Long range scan of planet complete. 
So as uh, we like to say, this is the time where we're going to look into the orb of time and uh, we're going to get thoughts on what we think is going to happen in next week's episode or in the remaining few episodes that we have, sadly, in season one. And Bill, let's start with you. Uh, I got to say, man, I'm real proud of both you and I. It took a long time, but we finally got a long range scan right. And I'm just giddy about it. Well, let me just set the table here for Amy because... um... You know, it's uh, this is you know obviously the eleventh episode, and we do this segment every week, Amy, and not once have we been correct. <laughs> with the exception, I picked up on that, yeah. <laughs> with the exception of last last week, where we happen to guess who the emperor was, but I think that everybody on the planet guessed it, so I'm not sure if it really counts. I think we're still kind of on the bubble. What do you think? Oh, no, it counts. <laughs> yeah, take the W. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take the W, and this week. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I think that Michael Burnham is going to have to pay a price for having disobeyed the emperor. And I suspect that there could be some agony in her future. I think she's going to wind up in the agony booth, perhaps for the full duration. That's my long range scan. Oof. Speaking of which, was that an agonizer they used on Tyler when uh, Saru threw him off of Michael in her quarters? Uh, I didn't. Look like, I'm gonna have to go back and look. Hmm. I, uh, I although it was pretty impressive the way Saru just launched him across the room. That <laughs> yes, was pretty it was. awesome. Saru's awesome. Amy, let's hear a prediction. I want a bold one. I want. Oh, I just can't wait to hear it. Oh my gosh. Um, I this is the one section. Okay. All right. Okay. So one thing I was thinking about with how in our universe, in the prime universe, that Michael was raised by Sarek. So how about, let's say, in the mirror universe, she is raised by Giorgio. Oh. You know, that's not that's not too far-fetched because the way that Giorgio was talking to her in the preview that we saw for next week, there kind of is that kind of mother-daughter kind of vibe going. So, hey. We'll have you back on the show if that's it, because that's going to be good. <laughs> well, but if, if you're wrong, you're never coming back. So it's one or the oh, other. Darn it. <laughs> well, if I'm wrong, then I blame Brandon Shea Mutella. <laughs> I like that. We blame Brandon like for a great many things. Oh, oh sorry. Sorry. Um, <laughs> for me, uh, for my long range uh, scan, I think that next week we are finally going to discover Huh? Okay. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Thank you. Um, what universe Lorca is really from? Personally, I hope he's from our universe, but there's been a lot of speculation that he's from the mirror universe or possibly a different universe altogether. I think next week we're finally going to find out where he's from and where he's supposed to be. I hope you're right. I want to find out too. Yeah. Oh, I do too. I um, I, I think he's from some universe, just not necessarily either of the ones we've seen so far. So wow, he's, yeah, he's from some universe. Wow, that's good, bud. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I hope you edit that out. <laughs> Dan, as always, we want to thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring the entire season of Discovering Trek. You know, we truly love their product, and we love what they've done for Star Trek fans ever since we met them a couple of years ago. 
Yeah, we sure do. And one of the things that we love is the new episode pin collection. We've talked about it a lot. Uh, special season one for Discovery. You can head right on over to episodepins.com to check out all the details of how you can have unique pins for every episode of this season. The first eight pins have already been released and they're gorgeous. You can see them all on the website. And we can't wait to see what the remaining pins look like, especially those from these Mirror Universe episodes. Right, Bill? Absolutely, Danny. Speaking of pins, it's time to give away more of them because I love to give away Fansets pins. I don't know about you, but this week we're going to give away another entire set of Klingon Discovery pins. Now, of course, this includes Takuvma, Laurel, Voke, Cole. Of course, I'm Team Cole for life. That's well established. And of course, the Klingon sarcophagus ship before it was destroyed. So, That's a whole bunch of awesome pins. Now, last week, we wanted to hear your thoughts about episode 10 with a special hashtag. We had a whole bunch of responses, and we want to congratulate Tim, who uh, on Twitter is at the underscore E Porter, on being this week's winner. We're excited. He's going to get all those pins, and Tim will be in touch with you soon so we can get them out to you. I'm surprised that, uh, first of all, congratulations, Tim. That's awesome. You're going to love him. I'm surprised there isn't a uh, Tyler pin because uh, isn't he kind of Klingon? Oh, there is a Tyler pin. He's just in the Starfleet ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we had such a great time with the giveaway last week and how we did it that we decided we wanted to do the same thing again this week. So we want you to tag us on Twitter. We want you to tell us your thoughts on the wolf inside. And we want to use a special hashtag. Hashtag transporter popsicles is what the hashtag is for this week. Um, Next week, we're going to pull all of your tweets together and we're going to pick a winner for a special ships and captains set of pins, which is going to include Captain Georgiou and the Shenzhou, Captain Lorca and the Discovery, and Captain Cole and the sarcophagus ship. The sarcophagus ship is getting a lot of uh, press this last few weeks, I think. That's because it's an awesome pin. I uh, I love it, to be honest. It's okay, so everybody, get your tweets out there by Monday, January 22nd, 2018 at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and best of luck. As always, we thank Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. So next week, we're going to finally get to see just how ruthless this no longer faceless emperor actually is. And I, for one, am looking forward to seeing the confrontations between the emperor and Lorca and the emperor and Burnham. It's going to be awesome. What do you think, Bill? I absolutely can't wait. I, you know, we know we're getting at least one more episode in the Amir universe. Who knows how many more? Um, and they're just, they're unraveling this in just the coolest way possible. And I can't wait for next week. Dan, next time on Discovering Trek, we're going to look at the 12th episode of Star Trek Discovery with vaulting ambition. And joining us in the discussion will be our friend, author, and podcaster, Ira Heineken. In the meantime, we've made it even easier for you to subscribe to both Trek Geeks and Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion. Head on over to podfleet.com and find out how you can get both of our podcasts directly on your iPod, iPhone, Android, or your other device. Plus, you can even stream our podcast directly using Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Stitcher. It's your independent Star Trek podcasts delivered your way, so join the pod fleet and make it so. Thank you, my man. Well, Amy, we can't thank you enough for being here. It's awesome to talk to you every time 
that we've had the chance. Can't wait to see you out in Vegas at STLV. But right now, I want you to shine. I want you to tell all of our listeners about postcards and everything else you're working on. And then I also want to find out where people can find you on social media. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed coming on. Love, love, love listening to you guys. And thank you again for having me. You can find me over on Trek FM. I do a little show called Postcards from the Edge. That is the fan response to each episode of Star Trek Discovery. That drops on Thursdays. And I just love reading all the comments and everyone's thoughts and everything. It's really, really fun. I also host... Earl Grey, which is the podcast dedicated to the next generation, which is my favorite show. And you guys bust my britches all the time when you did your see it or skip it. Don't think I didn't hear. (laughs) We have no idea what you're talking about. Uh And my response is always see it. So um, (laughs) you can find me there on the network. I am on Twitter and you can find me at Miss Amy Nelson. And yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm on Camp Kittimer too. Absolutely. Well, that's a, good, that's a great yeah. place to be. Awesome. Let me ask you a question. For for those listeners who may not have tuned into Postcards from the Edge yet, which I recommend everyone should do, uh, what has been the overall opinion on Discovery so far? And specifically with the Mirror Universe episodes over the last two weeks, we've always been talking about how social media can sometimes be a drag and there's a lot of negativity, but what have you been seeing with the, with the uh, stuff that people have been sending you for your podcast? Well, it was very interesting. I would say the first three weeks and, you know, I'm just sort of going to do this over the 11 episodes, but just real quick, the first three weeks, people are like, this isn't my trek. I don't like it. And I had a lot of complaints and concerns and questions, but these last two, three episodes, hardly any. So people are really getting on board. Um, there's a few complaints. Oh, I don't like the mirror universe, but that's, they own it. They don't blame the writers. They don't blame discovery. They're just like, Oh, I don't care for it. I want to see them go back to the prime universe. So it's been very positive, especially the last three episodes for sure. Nice. It's good to hear. Um, there's been a lot more positivity. Uh, I, for one, of course, loving the mirror universe. I like it. Sorry, Terry. Uh, I really just love the mirror universe. So yeah, check out postcards from the edge. Uh, I'm sure you won't be disappointed folks for us. Uh, that's going to do it for episode 11, no matter what universe you're listening from. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of your day with us. And we look forward to the next time we talk discovery with you until then. However, here's some words of wisdom from Mr. Spock from (laughs) and the children shall lead humans do have an amazing capacity for believing what they choose and excluding that which is painful and until next week never stop discovering music for discovering trek is provided by five-year mission they're writing one song for each episode of the original star trek download their music at fiveyearmission.net Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks, executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.